All right, so any questions up to now? Nope. Saul's king. We're, we're cruising. So we'll... All right, let's do a quick review. All right. This is a, what I'm going to try to do is try to put a lot of what we're talking about in context. Uh, David's age, he's probably <coughs> mid-20s for this period of time. He's, uh, when he was uh, anointed, he was probably, in, in the Jewish world, there are three ages for men. 13, 20, 30. 13 is when uh, you became an official man that could be counted as a man. <coughs> However, you still probably lived at home, and you became an apprentice. You either apprenticed with your father and whatever he did, or you went to another family member and apprenticed in what they did. So, it's, it's what, who has teenagers in here, or has had teenagers in here? What's every teenager want? I want to be independent, right? I'm ready to live on my own. As a Jewish boy, when you turned 13, that was correct. Except you had to go earn a living. And so you became an apprentice. You know, if your dad was a car a carpenter or builder, you became a carpenter or builder. If you're you know, your uncles, they lived in small villages. The village was all their own tribe, and it was by and large all their own family. So you can imagine living in your extended family where everybody's related to you. So you got away with nothing, right? Anything you did, somebody was talking to your mom. Uh, so you got apprenticed, and then you'd apprentice out. When you turned 20, you were, uh, that's when you were counted among the fighting men of Israel. And so between 13 and 20, you were expected to learn your trade, and also expected to learn how to fight. Because when they said, you know, my tribes, the tribe has to send a certain number of people, if you go back to the story of Goliath, you know, only three out of Joseph's seven brothers were there. Because you know they would say we need X number out of this village, and you would go you would go fight. So once you hit 20, you could be counted as a fighting man. Once you hit 30, uh, 30 is where, as a priest, you could start to serve in the temple. Right? There was no temple at this point in the tabernacle or official priestly duties. You had to be 30. Uh, and so Joseph. When he goes to kill Goliath, Joseph, David, David, when he goes to kill Goliath, is clearly not 20, because he's not their fighter. He's younger than that. Uh, most uh, of the commentaries I read on this talked about that there was probably a seven or eight year overlap from the time David is anointed to the time Saul passes away. Or is killed or kills himself, depending on how you interpret that scripture. So, this period, the time where the story that we're telling is from the time of Goliath to the time, the end of First Samuel is about seven or eight years. So David's probably somewhere in his mid to upper twenties here. Uh, he was anointed by Samuel to be king. At initially, probably not a widely known. Uh, widely known. By this point in time, it's fairly widely known. And we're going to see in today's, today's teaching about that. 
Uh, he's married, uh, married to Michael. The, that's the other thing it tells us he's more than 20. Because generally speaking, you didn't get married till you were more than 20. Males. Males, yeah. When, so, sorry, women. Women didn't count. They, uh, you didn't, all the school, and actually when we talked about being 13, your schooling ended at age 13 other than your apprenticeship. The only people who went to school past age 13 were those who were seen as exceptional scholars, and there were places you would send them. This is very similar to what we see with Paul in the first century. So, uh, you know, we think David's probably in his mid-20s here. Uh, he's been anointed at this point in the story probably six years. Uh, he's married to Michael, Saul's second daughter. As you remember, whoever killed Goliath was supposed to mar marry Saul's oldest daughter. That didn't happen. And, but Michael really likes David. David's, every time David's uh, introduced, he's, he's a good-looking guy. Uh, we were laughing. We were watching the World Cup yesterday, and we said uh, Ronaldo for uh, Portugal. He's a very good-looking guy. So that would have been David if he was a redhead. You know, he's, everyone looks at him and says, "That's a good-looking guy." Uh, and so Michael really likes David, so they end up getting married. Now there are no children mentioned between Michael and David. We don't know how long they lived together. Probably not a long time. Uh, at this point in time, he has between four and 600 men that are following him. Uh, he's moved his family to Moab. All his extended family have moved from Bethlehem down to Moab. Because remember, Jesse is a grandson of a Moabite. So he's technically from Moab. So they move him down to the king. And so that it's a family thing. And he's on the run from Saul. Last several chapters, he's been running from Saul. Saul's tried to kill him multiple times. There's an argument how many, how many times he actually tried to kill him. It's a lot. Uh, so that's where we're at at the start of this chapter. Come on. There we go. All right. A couple maps here. Uh, you, you hear all these words, uh, cities... Here's kind of where we're at. Uh, Jerusalem is here. Remember, Jerusalem is not a Jewish city at this point. It's not been conquered yet. David is from Bethlehem. Uh, Saul lives up here. And that, you know, the last story we heard is David runs from Saul's presence, goes down to Nob, where the priests are, where he eats the bread and gets the last sword. Then Saul comes down here and slaughters all the priests. And so David then runs over to Gath. This is Philistia. Uh, and pretends to be insane where, so they won't kill him. Because remember, he's a Jew. And so, uh, and he just chopped the head off of, relatively recently, of, the, of Goliath, who was the lead, the lead warrior of the Philistines. So he's not a popular guy in Philistia. He goes over there, pretends to be insane, uh, and then... Hey, run, yes? Why would he go there? It seems like he was going into enemy territory. He was, I mean, he was really worried that Saul was going to kill him. And so he's, he's just running. 
And so he runs over there uh, for, it doesn't seem to be a long period of time. And then he runs back to this section, which is very mountainous, the forest of Hereth in here. Uh, and he starts massing people. Remember, the people that come to him are people who are not happy with Saul being king and have some issue. So he gets the malcontents. They all start coming to David. He's down in this section. Uh, and then Moab is down here. Uh, and then in the stronghold, Masada is right here. I think I got another map for you. So now in this story today, if you, those of you who want to fall asleep and not listen to the whole class, this is the story. I do this for all my students at Lipscomb too. I tell them what I'm going to tell them. I say, if you want to go to sleep, go to sleep. But it will be on a test, correct. You may, you may want to pay attention. Uh, so what happens is he, he starts moving around this part of the country, which is the southern part. Uh, and th through the story, he's moving around here. Saul's up here, and he comes down periodically to try to find David. All right, chapter 24. Uh, Saul returns, and you've got to remember, Saul's also fighting the Philistines and all the other people around the edge of uh, Israel because he's their king. So when people were raided, Paul would have, Saul would have to go and defend that. When the Philistines would come in, Saul would have to go. So it's not like he's chasing David 100% of the time. He has to be king and act like a king. So uh, Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and he says, David's in and Gedi. Uh, so, you know, he's got his spies out. This, actually, I was like, when I was reading this, I said, this is like uh, Star Wars, you Star Wars fan, right? You know, the Imperial spies and the non-spies, you know, where are the rebels? Oh, they're on, the, they're on the ice planet, they're on this planet, you know, and so they're always chasing each other. Uh, that's probably where he got the idea for all this, but... Uh, so Saul has 3,000 able young men. Uh, these are his, this is a standing army that lives with him up and around. So he starts chasing David down into the wilderness. Now for the, the Jew, part of this story is, uh, in, the, in the history of the Jews, what, will, what does wilderness signify? Wilderness signifies pure purification. Because if you think about the story of the Jews, they come from Israel, uh, they come from Egypt up to Israel, uh, they don't have enough faith, they go to the, the wilderness where they're purified. So this story of David in the next three chapters is he's in the wilderness twice. So he's reflecting kind of on the, the walk of the Israelites up to this point. You go to the wilderness where you're purified, where God tests you, where he strips away from you all the stuff that you don't need down to the, to the bare minimum, where you learn to trust God. This is the period of time when you read Psalms. There are a lot of Psalms that David writes in this period because he's on the run. Uh, and remember, this is David is camping, right? Only without a camper for the next lots of periods of time. He's running around. Uh, he doesn't have a food source. He's sleeping outdoors. Uh, 
there, there are a lot of things going on here. This, you know, we kind of think about he's in, a, you know, he's in a castle, the other guy's in the castle. David's outside, he's running for this period of time. And so uh, they go down to Engedi. So the first story of there's a cave, Saul goes in to relieve him. I guess they use caved as toilets. Uh, and so David and some of his men are in the back part of that cave. They're hiding from Saul. Remember, Saul's got 3,000 guys looking for him. David has about 600. And so they're constantly playing this game of hide-and-seek through this wilderness. Uh, and then his men look at him and said, this is the day the Lord spoke to you when he said, I will give your enemy into your hands to deal with as you wish. Because remember, David's been telling him, I'm appointed, I've been anointed and appointed the king of Israel. And so the men are going like, oh, we got to get rid of the old king. So now they're saying, oh, Saul's sitting here. He's in a compromising position. Uh, and so you can kill him. And then in those days, kings killed kings. How did you become king? You killed the old king. Right? The king's job was to be the leader of the army to keep yourself free. So the experience around there, if you wanted to become king, you had to kill the old king. And so it says killing. And we know you're anointed, and you can, you can become king. Uh, and so David crept up and cut the corner off his robe. And he says, he's conscience-stricken for cutting this off. Because he's, that in an honor-shame society, he has just shamed the king. Uh, and he also is going to shame his bodyguards. That's going to be the next story. Uh, the Lord forbid that I should do it, such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or to lay my hand on him, for he is anointed of the Lord. So even though David's anointed his, his successor, he says, I can't kill Saul, because he's still God's anointed. Uh, and so he rebuked his men. Saul left the cave and went his way. David comes out and calls out to Saul, my Lord my king. So he's still saying, you're still my king. Uh, and so David prostrates himself and basically says, why, why are you hunting me? Uh, I could have, and so he holds out that part of the robe and says, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And uh, I am not guilty of any wrongdoing or rebellion. David says, I'm not, why are you chasing me? I am not doing anything against you. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. And then uh, there's an old saying, from evildoers come evil deeds. Uh, so my hand will not touch you. So David basically says, I could have killed you, but I did not. Against the whom is the king of Israel come out? A dead dog? A flea? So David's basically saying, I am innocuous. I am not here to harm you. Uh, a dead dog, the Israelites did not keep dogs. Their dogs were considered unclean. And so, uh, when you see it, so what David's basically saying, I'm, I mean, I'm essentially unclean. Are you chasing me? Uh, may the Lord judge between us. Uh, may he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. 
So basically, you know, the Lord's going to determine which one of us is right in this. And then Saul says, is that your voice? Uh, he says, you are more righteous than I. Uh, because how many times has Saul tried to kill David? A bunch. Uh, and he's in the midst of it as this whole story unfolds. Because David, he's got his 3,000 men out searching for David. And I guarantee you, it's a, you know, just like a Western, dead or alive, he did not care if his men killed David. If they brought his head back to him, he was happy. It wasn't like, I want David back to bring you back into the fold. David's going to die. Uh, but you did not kill me. And then he says, I know that you surely will be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Remember, Saul... Samuel told him, God's taken the kingdom out of your hands and given it to someone else. By this point in time, he recognizes it as David. Uh, and then, I, you know, I yes. think it's also important to know that when they came out of Egypt and they were given lands, they all became their own little independent vast estates. Yes. They had no, there was no unity of Israel. And so Saul literally perceived the time. Israel will come together. Yeah, because at this at this point in time, remember Saul's the first king, but he's not a king. Like, we don't don't think of him like a king, like the king of England. He doesn't have a castle somewhere. He's basically living in a house. When he needs help, if you look at those earlier stories, he has to send messengers to each tribe and says, "Send me people, because we're going out to fight." Uh, and so it's a very decentralized kingdom. He's the king, but he doesn't. He's not a king like we think of kings. Uh, but he's recognized the fact that he's working towards that, and that David's going to establish that. By the time David's done, remember the person who wrote, wrote this book is well after the time of David, and so your uh, the the Jews when they would read this would think back to the kingdom of David at its highest. Flash forward to the first century, a thousand years from now. What does every Jew think the Messiah is going to do? They know this, they know this story frontwards and backwards. They think the Messiah is going to be David. That David's that the new Messiah is going to come back to David, he is going to establish the kingdom of Israel. Just like Samuel promised that David was going to do. Uh, so in the first century, this was a huge passage for the Jews because they're oppressed, the Romans are running them, they're thinking the Messiah is coming back. So when you read the Gospels, you have to keep in the back of your mind, this is what the Jews were thinking the Messiah was going to do. He was going to be David. He was going to kick the Romans out. He was going to kick everyone out. The Jews were going to have their kingdom again, and they're going to be the top dog. So this is the story that every Jew in the first century would be reading all the time. And then swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill any of my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. Because remember, Samuel said, your name's going to be wiped out. And so Saul's saying, don't do that. But we know that Jonathan and, and David have already had covenant between them that they're going to protect each other's family. Saul may not know that at this point. 
But Saul's now saying, you know, protect my family when you become king. All right, any thoughts, questions? This is the, the, the story as we're rolling through. Uh, now we come, this chapter is a big turning point. David loses two big things in this chapter. First thing, Samuel dies. Remember, Samuel has never seen Saul since he anointed, since he anointed David, and then Saul, uh, the uh, Amalekites, from the time of the Amalekites. So we're we're talking seven or eight years here <coughs> that Samuel has not seen Saul. Saul dies. The whole nation assembles him, buried him in his home in Ramah. And then David moved down to the desert of Paran. So basically, David, David was probably at this funeral. I mean, Samuel. Everyone's going to show up. David then moves down south. Hey, yes. So when it says all Israel, now is that all the southern and the northern? Yes. Israel? When they say all Israel here, you're talking all twelve tribes. <clears throat> and what year is it? We're uh, probably around a thousand. Plus minus 20 years. So around 1000 BC. So all of Israel, all 12 tribes, like we we're saying they're, in, they're kind of independent entities. So the yeah, fact. It's not a divided kingdom. Yeah. They don't, they don't divide to after Solomon. So we got David and Solomon to rule yet, each about 40 years, and then they divide. Uh, but all of them assembled. And then we, we, we jump to the story. Uh, of a man who lives in Maon, whose name is Nabal. Uh, he's very wealthy. A thousand goats and three thousand sheep. That's a, that's a lot. Uh, in a hilly country, uh, tells you he's got a lot of slaves and servants. Because I guarantee he's not out there uh, shepherding his sheep. Uh, his name is Nabal, which, interesting enough, is fool in Hebrew. So, and he's also a Calebite, right? Which means dog, right? So he's a dog fool. He's a dog fool. Yes. So he, this story is put in here because who does this guy really represent? Saul. So uh, this is echoing back to Saul, who is acting like a fool. So we have the story of Nabal, who is a who's named a fool and acts like a fool. And I, I like his just. Uh, description at his wife's Abigail. She was intelligent and beautiful, and he was surely in me. <laughs> we all know guys like this, right? And no matter what, you're going like, yeah. Nobody wants to deal with this guy, but he's so wealthy uh, that he's hard to ignore. Uh, and so David's in the wilderness. Uh, so Saul's up here. Uh, Mahon's kind of in the middle. The wilderness is down here in the south. Uh, and you heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So you gather all your sheep in, you shear them once a year to get the wool, uh, etc. Uh, and he, so he sent ten young men and said, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. What else do we know is sits at Carmel? When Saul kills the Amalekites, where does he set up his stone that says... I am King Saul. I killed the Amalekites, right? Same city. So, 
that's where Nabel's living. So Nabel's probably a pretty strong uh, salt backer at this point. Uh, and it says, greet him in my name uh, and say long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all your all yours. Very typical greeting. Uh, he's been, David's men are being very polite. Uh, and we hear it she sheep shearing time. I like it. We hear it is. He's got 3,000 sheep. Everybody knows it's sheep shearing time. Because you just spent, everyone's going gathering all the sheep from all over this wilderness to shear them. Uh, when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and your servants will tell you. So basically what David is saying is, my men guarded your people. You didn't lose a single sheep. Remember, you're this is the least a year. Because since the last shearing to now, it's once a year. So his men have been down and said, we've guarded you. Nothing, because all the Amalekites, all the Philistines would be running through here, stealing sheep, taking them back home. He says, your men have been protected for a year. Nothing bad has happened to you. Uh, be favorable towards my men because we're coming to festive time. Sheep shearing was a big festival because you would, that's kind of, pay, it was payday for the shepherds. So a lot of, all this stuff would be panning out at this time. Uh, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for him. So he's not asking, you know, give us X amount. He said, hey, out of the goodness of your heart, since we kept all your people safe and therefore you lost no sheep, be kind to us. Give us a tip. And so uh, the king's men, David's men arrived. They gave Nabal the fool this message. And they waited. And he goes, who is this David? All right, he's in the middle of a rebellion. Everybody knows who David is. Remember the song back three or four chapters? Saul killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. Everybody knows who David is. This is like in America saying you don't know who Trump is. Right? Well, like him or hate him, you know who he is. Same thing. doesn't matter which side of the fight you're on, you know who David is. So when David's men show up, it's, this is an insult. Who is this son of Jesse? That's an even bigger insult. I, don't, your I can't even remember your name. It's your dad's name. Oh, son of Jesse. So this is a series of insults to him. Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days, saying you should be you should be working for Saul. And so you're you're. What he's also saying here is, you're when it, when are you apprenticed? Thirteen to twenty. Basically saying you're a child. You run away from your master. You don't know enough. Series of insults after insults here. Why should take my bread and water and meat, which we have slaughtered for my shears, and give it to men who comes coming from who knows where? Insult, insult, insult. This is also very uh, anti-cultural for this area. Because if a stranger came to you in your household, you would bake bread and you would slaughter the calf. It, it, so the very fact that he's saying this is even a bigger insult than it looks like to us. He's basically saying, you're not even worth my attention. <laughs> yeah, I don't care what you did. 
uh, you're not worth my attention. So David's men turn and they go back. And so David acts, the interesting part about David acts like Saul here. This is not David being David, this is David acting like Saul. He's mad. Uh, strap on your sword. Uh, so 400 men come with me, 200 stay here and protect my stuff. Uh, we're going up. So Abigail, the wife, heard about this, and she knows her husband's not a very wise man. Uh, and so uh, she goes, wow, these guys were good to us. They didn't mistreat us. Nothing was missing. Day and night, they were a wall around us. So, she, so clearly her husband knew the same thing. Uh, a disaster is hanging over our master and our household. So the servants go to her and say, you know, he's about, because they understand when David gets mad, every time you attack the city, who survived? Nobody. They're part of this household. What's going to happen to them when David shows up? They're all dead. They know they're dead. So they go talk to Abigail, who's much smarter than her husband. And so she says, all right, 200 loaves of bread. Remember, David's got 600 men. Uh, two skins of wine, five sheep, five shalos of roasted grain, which is a lot. Hundreds of cakes of resin, 200 cakes of figs, and load them on the donkeys. Go ahead and I'll follow you. And she did not tell her husband because he would have forbidden it. But she is saving his life. She came riding with her donkey into the ravine. Remember where we're talking about this is a very, very, very hilly, very short distance. Uh, and David had just said, it's all been useless. Watching, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so nothing goes missing. He paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David ever so severely if by morning I leave one male of all who belong to him alive. So David's marching out. He says, I'm going to kill them all. Uh, and Abigail knows that's the response that you get because that's the response you got in those days. And then she sees him and she gets off her donkey, bows down. Uh, Pardon your servant, my lord. So she is, even though she's a very, very wealthy wife, she humbles herself in front of David and says, let me speak. Pay no attention to that wicked man, Abel. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. He's not... She, she has lived with him. She, everyone knows this guy. And, uh, and then I didn't see the men. So basically saying, I didn't know that they came. Had they come, we would have had a different answer. Uh, as the Lord lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands... May your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Basically saying, don't sully your hands with bloodshed. Especially since uh, I know, she says, I know the Lord has appointed you ruler over Israel. And I don't want your conscience to have the burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. 
having to avenge yourselves for not godly reasons. So Abigail prevents David from being like Saul. And you know, because everyone thinks you know David is a man after God's own heart, which he is, but there, he has times and periods of which we're gonna learn really in 2 Samuel that he does not act like it. This is one of those times. He is acting like a typical uh, king or ruler at that time. So you dissed me, you're going to die. And so Abigail prevents him from doing that and basically walks him back from the edge. And then David realizes that. And he said, praise be to the God that he sent you to me. Uh, thank you for your good judgment and keeping me from bloodshed this day. And from avenging myself on my with my own hands. He was going up. He was going to kill them all. Uh, and then David accepted her hand for what she brought. Go home in peace. I have heard your words and grant your request. I'm not going to kill all your people now. And now we have part two of the story. Abigail goes to Nabal the fool who is holding a banquet like that of a king. He's really wealthy. So he's sitting here thinking, I'm the man. Everything I have decided... Clearly, all my good fortune is because of my genius. Not realizing that he had been hours from death. David was coming with his 400-man army. He was going to kill him. But he's, you know, partying on here, right? He's got a band, lots of food. We know he had lots of sheep. Uh, and he was very drunk. And she told him nothing at all until daybreak. In the morning, when he was sober, Abigail told him all those things, and his heart failed him. He came like a stone. And ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. A little wordplay here. Remember, whose stone is in the city? Saul's. So who was Nabal? He becomes David's stone, or the Lord's stone in that same city. Wordplay right there. Saying that. See what happens if you diss David, the Lord's anointing, you become a stone. Just like there's a stone saying what the great thing Saul did, now you know the story of Nabal, who becomes a stone that tells you what the Lord has done for David. You know, when, when I think of, I, and I, I kind of went over this last week as well, and, and just thinking about it this week, this is... You know, the, uh, the underlying tension of this whole book is how does David become a man after God's own heart? Mm -hmm. And you nobody understands that. And you look at Samuel has died. David has had to move his parents down to Moab. He's living in a tent. He's got 400 misfits that are following him. Yep. Saul's chasing him, trying to kill him. He has to go down to Gath to escape. He has nothing at all. And so out of the goodness and the kindness of his heart, while he's in that forest hiding out, he protects Nabal's stuff. And then Nabal disses him like that. And so you're right. He becomes just like Saul and says, I'm going to wipe this guy off. But Abigail turns his heart toward God. Yes. And he becomes godlike. And I, I think that's the thing is, David doesn't become godlike by himself. He is surrounded by people who point him back to God. And at important points in his life, come in. 
We'll see that in second scene a lot with Nathan and some of the things. But Abigail comes in and says, wait a minute, I'll be godly. Don't, don't, be, don't be Saul, be godly. And so he does. And so Nabal dies. Uh, and so David sent word, hey, come down, let's get married. Uh, so, <laughs> I need you around. I need you around. He goes, I think he recognized the fact she's pretty bright. And, uh, she's also from Judah, by the way. So he is strengthening his ties. In, he's from Judah. He's strengthening his ties in Judah. Uh, but she's not Jewish. Oh, Abigail? Yeah, she's Jewish. Yes. She's from Judah. She's from the tribe of Judah. This whole area is Judah. Uh, and so uh, she gets on the marriage. No, no, he was a Calebite. He was Calebite. He was Jewish. He was Yes. Yeah, sorry. Caleb is descendants of one of the two spies. Joshua and Caleb are the two guys that said, we can do it. Uh, the Calebites went to the mountainous area and were known to be uh, a lot like Nabal. That, that, by the way, was not a... Uh, that's not a... Uh, be called a Calebite is not really nice to you. Because it means... Makes a dog right. They're tenacious. But it's not like, hey man, you're the best Calebite I know. Like a backhanded compliment, right? Uh, yes, they were part of the tribe. But they're part of the tribe, yes. Uh, and so he marries Abigail. And then also throws a little fact in here. Oh, by the way, he also married Ahonoam, also from Judah. So now David has married two women. He's still married to Michael, except we take care of it here. This call, David. Saul takes his daughter Michael, who is David's wife, and marries him off to one of his men, who's a Benjamite. So David's got two wives now, plus, you know, minus one, plus two. Uh, so here we are, we're running around here again, uh, and now we're about to go over to Gath, which is in Philistia, back to the wilderness. Uh, and then the Ziphites give up David. That's the city right there in the middle. Zip. Right here. They go, to, they go to Saul and go, hey, David's hanging out around us. So they're clearly on the Saul, Saul, team Saul. You've got team David, team Saul, right? Uh, they're clearly not on team David. Uh, and so they go down here again. Again, David's in the wilderness. And uh, so they go out see it. David sees where he's camped. Saul's in the middle of the camp. Everyone else is sleeping all around him. Uh, and so he talks to Ahimelech, who's a Hittite. We're going to meet another Hittite a little later on in the story. I mean, he's a non-Jew. And Abishai is his nephew. Uh, Zerulai is one of David's brothers. So Joab and Abishai, and there's another, brother, another nephew, are men in his army. It says, who will go down to the camp with me of Saul? And says, I'll go with you. So Abishai thinks we're sneaking in to kill Saul. And so they sneak in. He's laying there with the spear, the famous spear. Saul always has a spear in his hand. Every time he's described, he's got a spear in his hand. Uh, and so Abishai says, God delivered your enemy in your hands. He, I'm sure he was the same guy who said it, you know, two chapters ago. That's uh, time to get rid of Saul. Uh, now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. As you remember, what did Saul try to do to David? Pin him to the wall. This is the same verb. He basically, everyone knows the story. 
of his men. Saul tried to kill him. Let me kill Saul the way he tried to kill you. I won't strike him twice. That means I'm going to be really accurate. He's a, he's a dead man sleeping right here in front of me. And again, he says, don't destroy him. He's the Lord's anointed. Anointed. Uh, or, as sure as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he'll go into battle and perish. A little foreshadowing. It's about to happen. Uh, but I will not lay hand on him. So I, they stole his water jug and his spear, and they left. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them in a deep sleep. Important to know that there was always a guard awake. The king's guard guarded him 24 hours a day. So someone should have been awake, awake standing there. They weren't. Because the Lord put them in a deep sleep. And then, so David goes to the other side of the hill. This, this is a little smack talking here. Uh, and he calls out and says, hey, Abner, Abner. Abner is Saul's nephew who's the head of the army, who's the head of his bodyguards. They would know each other because who was David? David was the captain of the bodyguards while he was there. So they know each other. Hey, aren't you going to answer me? And the guy, who calls? You're a man who is like you in Israel. Why didn't you guard the king? What, what is the penalty for failure if you're a king guard, death. So David, David didn't kill the king, but he's he's going to taunt Abner a little bit here. Uh, hey, you didn't guard him. Hey, where, where is that spear and water jug? And of course, now it points the, the lightning fires. This is the night the lightning fires are looking for it. It's not there because it's in David's hands. And then Saul recognizes his voice. Is that your voice, David? He says, what am I wrong or guilty of? Why are you still chasing me? Remember, this has been going on for years at this point. Uh, the king of Israel would come out to look for a flea again as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Basically, you're hunting me for no reason. There's nothing I've done. Just like a partridge, they've not done anything to you. You're just hunting them. You're hunting me. I've not done anything wrong to you. And then... Saul again says, I have sinned. Come back. Uh, I acted like a fool. Harkening back to the story of Nabal. Right? Same word. I've acted a fool. Here's the king's spear. Let one of your men come over and get it. Uh, may you be blessed, my, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. And then Saul goes back. And David goes on his way. So, it, these are just vignettes that the author has gathered to say this is the type of man David is. He could have killed Saul. He doesn't multiple times. And then you get this. Because one of these days, I've, I've been lucky so far is what David says. He's been chasing me for a long time. Uh, the best thing I can do is escape the land of the Philistines. And then Saul will give up searching for me and I will slip out of his hand. So they leave Israel and go to Philistia. Uh, and they settle in Gath, uh, and they had his family with him. He had his two wives. Uh, and when Saul told David to go to Gath, he no longer searched for him, because he's now outside of Israel. And uh, he goes to the king of Gath. Remember, that five, there are five major cities that each have their own king. Uh, and says, hey, if I found favor with you, 
Give me a city. Uh, why should I live here in the royal city with you? Give me another city. See, David's got 600 men. He's a powerful uh, warlord at this point. Uh, and so they gave him Ziglag. And so he lives there for a year and four months. And it's, that city has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since, at the time of the writing of this. Uh, and so David shows some of his genius here. He would uh, get, the king would say, what he's got, the only people he can really raid are the Jews. So he's going to make himself a horrible reputation like the Jews because he's going to, in order for his people to survive, he's got to raid. What he does is go down towards Egypt. He's in Gath. He goes down, well actually, sorry, he's in Ziglag right here is where he's at. This is the city, the southern part. You notice he sends him a long way away. He doesn't put him right next door. He goes, why don't you go uh, live down here? So David's a fair difference from these other cities. He spends all his time raiding down here. And yes, I mean he goes back and forth. I mean, it's not like these guys don't know who David is. Yeah. And so the, the king kind of sends him. Previously, he goes, "Well, you were nuts last time you were here, yeah. and now you bring six hundred men with you. Last time there wasn't. There was just kind of him. Now you got six hundred men. Let me send you farther away from me, because I'm a little worried you're crazy. Uh, and down here, and so he goes down. All these people are towards Egypt." Uh, he did not, when he attacked an area, he did not leave any man or woman alive, but took all the sheep, cattle, donkeys, camels, and clothes. Then he would take them back to the king and say, look, I've got gifts for you. Because that's what a vassal king did. You would, you would give uh, rewards to your, the king who was over you. So that's what he's doing. And they said, where'd you go raiding? He goes, well, I'd go to the, the Negev of Judah. I was going up against Judah. And I got all these. And so, uh, Akish is going like, he has become so noxious to his people that he will be my servant for life. And remember, and he's enriching the king because David's a good warrior. He's bringing all this stuff back to him. And he's there for, like I said, a year, four months. All right. He's not, he is not fighting the Jews. No. He keeps stuff. telling him, I'm going after the Jews. Yeah. He says, what did you fight there? Well, I, went, I went to Judah. Or I went after Benjamin. Yeah. And it, but he, what he's doing is going after the... the uh, Amalekites, who by the way aren't even supposed to be there, they're all supposed to be dead. Uh, and he's going down to the other people in that area. So now, as we get towards the end of this book, that you can, for the next okay, six weeks, before we get back to this, seven weeks. So Are you they, sure we don't meet next week? <laughs> According to the white sheet, which I did not type up, today is the last day of regular Sunday classes. <laughs> 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 best El laid plans of bison. That's right. I, I'm glad the elders are looped in on this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't ask it. Uh, so, uh, so we're coming to the end of the, of the book of First Samuel. The, David is outside. He's enriching himself because now he's building up his men. He's building up his his the amount of animals and his fortune, uh, and he's just waiting his time. To figure out, because as we saw that last little bit, David goes, I've had a chance twice to go, so I'm not going to do it. The Lord will take care of this problem. And so he's now down in, in Ziglag. He's got his men, his family around him. He's got two wives at this point. 
Uh, and he's just waiting for the story now to play out. And so we'll get back to that in February sometime. Uh, in, yes? Is the plan to do Second Samuel this <coughs> semester? Yes. Yes. It is. Okay. So, yeah, we will hopefully get through There's all the There's really steps. no plan. We're just kind of going. <laughs> That's right. We're just kind of teaching as we go through. So, yes, we, we will finish Second Samuel next semester. So we will have done... Hopefully by the end of the year, first and second Samuel. So I have a theological question. Yes. So where is mentioned twice in these three chapters that David's man would say, "You have been told that God is going to give him into your hands." Where was he told that? I don't. It's hard to. Here's my theory. All right. Jump out. <laughs> You know, this whole time, David is writing psalms. Mm -hmm. He's writing psalms. And psalms aren't something he gets just sitting out in the, you know, looking at sheep. The Spirit of God is giving him these psalms. In Psalms 110, it says, The Lord says to my Lord, Come and sit at my, on my throne until I make your enemies your footstool. And I think David's discussing those psalms. Oh, I, I think so. Psalm 10 is the same one. He basically says, the Lord will deliver my enemies into my hand. Right. And so, yeah, he's writing these psalms. When, when you look at these psalms of, uh, of deliverance, I need to be delivered, it's during this period of time, for the most part, that he's writing these. You know, this is a multi-year process where he is out running from Saul. He's in Gath. He's out of Gath. He's back to Gath, he's back in the wilderness, he's back to Masada. He really doesn't have a home until he moves down to Ziglag. And he's only there for 16 months. Uh, and so you see a lot of the stuff going on. Yes? Jim, I have perhaps mistaken the report of David as, you know, his desire to be king of Israel. What we just talked about this morning, particularly in the last few minutes, with multiple wives, with this kind of seemingly unrequired attacks on other nations or peoples, killing every one of them. Was this all righteous behavior, or is this more examples of David's cause and symptoms? I mean, if you look in uh, Chronicles, which Chronicles is written post-exile, which goes back and looks at this, uh, David spends a lot of time before he goes into battle asking God's guidance. So, I mean, I, this story doesn't say that he does, but his behavior in Chronicles and later on is that every time he goes to the battle, he asks God's guidance first. So, and remember, God had already told Saul, wipe out the Amalekites. So David's actually doing what Saul was supposed to have done, which is destroy all the Amalekites. And so David is actually, in that part, acting righteous. And the area that he's invading, the Jews were supposed to have cleansed when they crossed into Canaan 400 years before that. Because if you look at the area that they were promised, David's raiding in that area. It just doesn't have any Jews in it. So, in one way, he's actually carrying out the commands that God had given to the 12 tribes 
hundred years before this. Destroy this area and make it Jewish. Now, as we talked about, there's the whole question of righteous war and, and you know, slaughtering of innocents, etc. That's a whole different class. Yes? Is there God would not let him build the temple because of the bloodshed. Right. Yes, yes. Right? We're going to get to that in 2 Samuel. Yeah, because he basically says, Dave, you're a man of war. I mean, you've done what I've done, but you're a man of war. And so you will not build the temple. However, your son, who's a man of peace, will build the temple. <coughs> this upsets our Church of Christ sensibilities. Mm -hmm. But, you know, remember, Noah was a righteous man in his own day. That doesn't mean he was righteous. That just means he looked better than everybody else. But David's getting better. God's doing it. Right. Is not gonna get, he's not going to have a kingdom. From a political standpoint, he's not going to have a kingdom that kills the king of others. Right. He's smart about it. Oh yeah, it's like, yeah. It's You're not going to have followers. If because that's how, if that's how you became king, right? At least the Benjamites, for sure, are not following him, and so that's and so David, you know, how much of that is the Holy Spirit talking to David, saying, you know, here's the direction to go. David is a man of prayer because he talks all the time about before we do something, let's ask God's guidance. So I assume he's doing that. What you do as an old person is generally what you did most of your life. It's hard to change significant parts of your, body, of your behavior. And so I think David is doing that as he's going through, you know, where do I need to go? Uh, you know, the, the one, uh, one earlier story, he runs to get, uh, over into the Philistines, and the Lord basically says, what are you doing over here? Go back to Israel, and sends him back to Israel. So I don't know what, you know, if, at this point, the guidance is go over to Gath and you get Ziglag, uh, but you can look, it's easier to see God's guidance retroactively than in the moment. Sometimes it's really confusing in the moment, what should I do? But when you look back on your life, and that's part of why they're telling the story, you're looking back on David's story saying, see, God was with him through this entire period guiding him. There were times it looked really nip or tuck, but God was still with him. All right, we'll see you in eight weeks, something like that. <laughs>